Mark 16 and 15, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. There's a few things I want to highlight today that I think we need to bring to the forefront of our minds and hearts to be aware of. One, their meaning, and two, their impact for or against our own personal walks and certainly expansion of the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. These four words. Some are good and some are not. Some look good and some are not. The first word is confusion. And a couple, three stories I want to share with you. All publishers receive strange letters from readers. But this one, to the Christian Science Monitor, is a classic. The subscriber says this, Dear sir, when I subscribed a year ago, you stated that if I was not satisfied at the end of the year, I could have my money back. Well, I'd like to have it back. On second thought, to save you the trouble, may you apply it to my next year's subscription. Confusing. When the Washington Territory was ready for statehood in 1889, there was a proposal to call it Columbia in honor of the mighty Columbia River. Legislators rejected the idea in the fear that our 42nd state would then be confused with the District of Columbia. So they stuck with their original choice and named it Washington. It's confusing. A teacher was handed the following note by one of her students. Dear teacher, please excuse Harriet for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off the porch, and when we found it on Monday, we thought it was Sunday. It's confusing. What is confusion and in this world today? There's no shortage of confusion. What is it and where does it originate? The Bible says that 1 Corinthians 14.33 reads like this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So confusion has an author, but it's not God. God does not originate confusion. God does not promote confusion. God does not endorse confusion. Confusion is not rooted in God. A lack of authorship leads to confusion. I'll tell you that. When we feel in life as though we have no author, we have no purpose, we have no origination, we don't know why we started, who created us. That leads to confusion. We don't know what our design is and what it is we're called to do. We get very confused. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the author of your faith? The author of your faith is the captain. In Greek, it's the word captain. 
It, it means um, that your faith has an author and that captain, uh, who's the, he's the one that took a lead in originating it and leading you into it. So your, your story in Christ, your faith that is unfolding, your life story has someone writing it. It's not so written that your every move is dictated, but within that story, you have the free will to operate what God's best is for you. Your faith has an author, and your life will not be confusing should you recognize, adore, even worship that author. So it has an origination, but it also has a perfecter. It also has a finisher. See, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, author and perfect your life story, your faith. You have a beginning and you have an end. And the interesting thing about alpha and, uh, alpha and omega is that when omega ends, when the end ends, alpha picks up again and it's never ending. That's infinity, that's eternity. So there's the seamless, like the seamless robe of Christ, there's a seamlessness when it comes to your life. When you die, when your omega comes, when the perfecter of your faith ends, when your life is over, immediately you are in the presence of the Lord. You're back to Alpha. He is the beginning and the end, and the end never ends. There's no void after it. It picks up with eternal life, the new life in Christ in heaven. Seamless, I love that. If you have confusion in your life, you, lo- you probably have blocks of unknown time, total uncertainty as what happens at death. That's confusion. There's the absence of an alpha and omega, an author and a perfecter, a finisher. When people don't know where they came from or who, who their identity is rooted in, what their lineage is, their ancestry, they, they live with a sense of confusion and oftentimes a gnawing hunger to know at least something. Yesterday was a, you know, it was a, it was a tough day and it was in, in many ways, but it was a, a good day in many ways. Uh, memorializing the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Diane Sawyer had painstakingly taken 20 years to get to know all the babies of the people who perished in 9-11. And then she visited with them at age five and age 10. Now they're 20, and she's befriended these people over this course of time, and what do they all have in common? None of them knew their father. It's amazing the likeness, the physical likeness between a 20-year-old and a perished fireman. Both firemen, the son now serving in the very firehouse in New York where his father's name rests on a plaque, no pressure, but this angst and this longing to know their start, their beginning, from whom did they come? It's a very important thing. The absence of an originator and a perfecter is the beginning of confusion. Yesterday was another day that was starkly, something starkly obvious about it all. As you hold the United States 20 years ago up to the United States 20 years later, There's no denying that there was a greater unity on September 12th than there is on this September 12th. 
Why? Because an entire nation in one failed swoop had a common enemy. Today, that's not the case. Today, we've made one another the enemy. That, too, leads to confusion. A house divided eventually cannot stand. Pastors all over the world are having to navigate these divisive waters even today. And if their conversations with me is any indication, it's not easy. It's difficult. There is confusion. Congregants congregating online have the best of intentions, but with the best of intentions, they're sowing seeds of division. It's causing confusion. Sometimes I think if, if any of us with, with our opinions and our perspectives and our dogmatic, emphatic facts, which are never dogmatic and never facts, on either end of any spectrum, very rarely, here's some advice. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, and 3, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multiplication of their words, the multitude of their words. Proverbs 10 and 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Where Where words are many, sin is not absent. Sometimes confusion is fostered by an unrelentless repetition of something we're not totally true, as certain as true, probably isn't in totality true, to the neglect of the truth, and now we have confusion. Confusion is keeping the church from advancing, and confusion is keeping the church from going out into all the world and preaching the gospel. Typically, the answer to the confusion is a transfusion. What is that? I was sitting around one day and uh, picked up the phone, and it was the Red Cross. Uh, this was six, eight months ago. Nothing was going on. The whole, the whole thing was a mess. Was... And the guy said, would you be interested in housing some blood drives at your church? Man, you could have shot a cannon through here and not, not even hit anything. I said, yeah, bring it on. We need to do something. Man, did we ever turn out. We gave hundreds of pints of blood. They were taking blood out of me as every, and putting it back in and taking it out, putting it back in. I don't know how many times I went down there. It was great to have something to do. I don't know. I may have given too much. But man, did this church respond and did this community respond to the blood drive? And what is that? What is a blood drive? What is, what is that blood? When you take one substance and you introduce it, that substance into another body, a like substance, a similar substance, a same typed substance, and you inject it into the other body, it can be life-saving. It can save a life. Well, I mean... Who would disagree with this? This is serious. I'm, you know, when someone's had an accident or someone's having surgery and they need that blood, it's on the ready. I mean, this is life-saving. 
a transfusion. Transfusions are wonderful. In a spiritual sense, you have to be careful, though. In a cultural sense, you have to be careful, though. In an emotional sense, you have to be careful, though. All we really have to give in a transfusion is something that we already have that is the same as what the other person needs. It originates in us, comes out of us, goes into them, we reproduce what was given, and their life is spared or enhanced or something. It's all good, it's all great, but it's only the transfer or the trans crossing over, it is only the exchange of one like substance inherited to one person, given to another, and received as coming from another person, the right person. It's a marvel, it's beautiful. Same with a liver transplant, kidney transplant. We've had our share of those in this church. The transplant is nothing more than one substance, like substance, like manner, like blood type, trans, transfused, transplanted into the other person. Praise the Lord for that. Problem is, if all we do is transfuse our thoughts and opinions with one another, and all it does is give something, some opinion, some, something that I have, that I've found, that I've learned, and, I, and all I do is give it to the other person, and they accept it as such or deny it as such. I've either created a greater divide or I've got two like-minded people. That's basically as far as that can go. You have your opinions, you have your thoughts, you have your ideology, you have your perceptions, you trans transfuse those into as many people as possible, and maybe you got more people the same, thinking the same way, maybe you don't. That's all, that's all it's going to do. It could be good. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be neutral. But that exchange is happening right now, probably more than anything that's happening in our culture right now. The next word is Infusion. Now you got my attention. Infusion. That's what we need. We need infusion. Spiritual infusion. What is that? That's when you take something that is not of yourself, not of same like character, and you infuse it into another person. Now we're getting somewhere. We're not just sharing our own thoughts, opinions, perceptions, and research, experiences, and encounters. No, now we're doing something different. I want to infuse another person with the spirit of the living God. I want to take something beyond myself that didn't originate in me, that's not defined by me, that's not determined by me, that's not controlled by me, that's not nurtured by me, and I want to infuse other people with the Spirit of God. Now we're getting somewhere. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, great word, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we had a fervor a zeal, a hunger to not transfuse ideas, thoughts, opinions, and perspectives, 
But we had a drivenness by the Spirit of God to take heaven by storm and infuse people with something beyond themselves. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're leading. Now we're setting an example. Now we're in the flow and the will of the Spirit. Now we're in the flow and the will of God. Now we're bearing fruit and fruit that will last. Now we don't have divisiveness. Now we have the reconciler and the ambassador of all creation, fusing people together with like-mindedness and passion to worship Christ instead of bicker. Infusion. Infuse the word of God in another person. I started writing these things a couple years ago called infusions. I got more specific this time. How do you take the word of God and infuse it into someone that's specifically supposed to receive it while they're sick? You know something when you're sick? First of all, I'm basically a wuss when I'm sick. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. My wife has a tolerance for pain. It's off the charts. I think after our last son was born, she wanted to go out to lunch. So like uh, Peter's mother-in-law gets up and starts baking lunch. That's my wife. She can endure anything and then just go. I get the flu, I get sick. I'm under 12 blankets. I've got a hoodie on under there, sweating like a bullet, and I'm milking it for all it was worth. Somebody please bring me something to eat or drink or medicine or something. I'm a wimp when it comes to that. Sickness just throws me off. And then spiritually speaking, when you're sick, it just doesn't work for me. It's a bad combination, sickness and prayer, sickness and anything really. It overwhelms me, too much so even. But if I'm there and you want to infuse something in me, not a transfusion, I mean an infusion. You want to say something of the Spirit, I can open my heart long enough to receive it. Share with me truth. Share with me possibilities. Share with me hope. Share with me strength. Share Jesus with me. Share the Spirit with me. Share the anointing with me. Anoint my head with oil, you got my attention. Infuse, I need something beyond myself in me physically, emotionally, and spiritually to work in there to do things I can't do on my own because I'm a wuss. Infusion. Infusion is an intentionality that exists within a believer that they get up in the morning and they go about their normal life or their appointments or calendars or whatever, but while they're doing so, that person is aware, if not semi-aware, expectant, if not semi-expectant, of an opportunity to present itself that came out of the blue, that wasn't necessarily scheduled, that says that I am here, frankly, to, not to save your life, I'm here to give you new life. I'm here as a vessel, and my goal by the end of the day is to be empty. My goal is to empty myself into the hearts and minds of other people and infuse them with new life, not sustaining life, not something that came of me, a substance that came from me, 
originated in me, was nurtured by me, but something beyond myself. Lord, take us to a rock higher than ourselves that we have an awareness that when someone comes up to us, there's, there's some sort of divine appointment, some sort of something going on to where I'm going to infuse you, I'm going to give of you to something to you that's going to blow you away. That might look like praying for someone in the cookie aisle at Ingalls. It might look like uh, sitting in someone's car and sharing a testimony of truth with them. It, it could, I don't know what it looks like. And you shouldn't know what it looks like. But when it's happening, you know it's happening. There's an infusion taking place. I wrote those infusions for people who are sick based on each of, of, of the 26 accounts of Jesus healing people. I hope it's encouraging. I listened to some of them infusions I did a year or two ago, and I didn't even realize it was me speaking. I didn't even remember saying it. I'm just saying there was something beyond oneself there. It's not bragging, that's reality. You can infuse another person with truth. There's something, you have a gift to do it somehow. Maybe tap, maybe untap, maybe wrap, maybe unwrapped, but it's there, and it's your mission. And that mission has an author and a perfecter, and it's not the least bit confusing. All the Christian has to do in this culture right now is not be confusing. You'll stick out like a sore thumb and people want to flock to you and figure out what it is you have that they don't, because we're getting, we are getting so confused in this culture. We have confusion about almost everything in this culture, including gender. We are confused. And the last is inclusion. Mark 16 to 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. All right, maybe you're not. But it does say preach the gospel. What? Now think about your answer to this question, please. What are you preaching? What are you preaching? The answer could be nothing. Okay, if it is, it is. The answer might be something but not the gospel. Or the answer might be the gospel. What are you demonstrating? See, the love of Christ is demonstrated. What are you demonstrating as it pertains to the love of Christ? The answer could be nothing. If it is, it is. If it's on, that's honest, it's honest. You know? It could be. What are you demonstrating that's not the love of Christ? Don't shake it off so fast either. It's okay. It's important. Ask yourself, well, let me give that some thought. And you don't have to decide right now. Take the afternoon. Take the week. 
These are important questions to answer because if I'm not demonstrating the love of Christ and I'm demonstrating something else, uh, people are going to get sort of confused. Because my author, your author, wrote that into the story. So you have the love of Christ in you. You're a minister of the gospel. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. You're called with a purpose. There's good works prepared in advance for you to do. You have the goods. You have the wherewithal. You have the God behind you. It's written in your story. They're prepared in advance for you to do. There are chapters. There are paragraphs. There are incidents of goodness oozing out of you into the lives of other people. Are you demonstrating the love of Christ in this culture? I didn't ask you if you intended to do so or if what you are preaching is meant to do that. I said, are you directly demonstrating the love of Christ and preaching the gospel? And if you're not, what are you preaching? And is it that important for your life to be overwhelmed with such to the neglect of preaching the gospel? That was a rhetorical question. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When we communicate with our partners around the world and our partners locally, it's interesting to me. They have their own nation they live in. They have their own culture. They have their own government, a form of government. Some good, some really not very good at all, some terrible. They have their own context, is what I'm trying to tell you. Japan has a context, Nepal has a context, Ukraine has a context, France has a context, Scotland has a context. It's unique. So when you are on a phone with one of our global partners, the Bridge Church has its own context. You want to know the truth? And it's different than ours. Generationally, very different. Perspectives, very different. It dawns on you. When we talked with Madison last week, she has her own unique setting and culture to minister to people seeking asylum. It's different than Highlands. What she's dealing with right now is, un- is different than Highlands or Kulawi or, or Cashers. It's different. Once you get into that context, you come to realize that person really, to be honest, is really trying to do what God has called them to do in their context. And our context really isn't all that important to them. I mean, it is, but it isn't. That we are not the center of the universe. And our issues aren't at the center of the, everything. That's kind of narcissistic. But once you get past that, I see everything through my culture, you put that aside. This is, a, this is elementary global missions, by the way, 101, maybe even first grade. Once you get past your own personal context, and you start to listen to them, at the heart of what they do, I mean, at the core of what they do, in a persecuted world, in their context, a persecuted context, all they want to do, really, is reach the unreached. It's really all they want to do. And that, they're so pure in that, so refreshed in that, so encourages me that I just want to help them. I want them to infuse their culture with new life in Christ. 
And to be honest with you, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes what it takes is a church to stand up and say, we will infuse you with cash. Sounds overly practical, but it's true. These people lacked resources. We have resources. We have resources and lack the opportunity they have. They have an, an abundance of opportunity and lack the resources. That's why we're partners. That's important. I say all that to say, you, my friend, are the protagonist in your own story. And there's an author writing the story. Chapters that lie ahead are probably far different than what you may expect. For some of us, the book is far longer than we realize, and for others of us, we'll soon come to realize it's more of a short story than a long one. That's reality. But it does have an author, and it does have one who brings it to conclusion. It's funny, as soon as your book is concluded, it's evaluated. I wrote a book because I felt like I just, it was really, I just told myself I would always do it. As soon as it was finished, I was scared to death someone was going to read it. Let's live a life worth dying for. And let's live a life worth reviewing when it's over. You have an author, and you have a perfecter. What are you transfusing to other people that should be an infusion, something beyond yourself, otherworldly, that brings about different results? A church that will earnestly ask that question and answer it is a church that God will use for his glory and for his honor in ways we may never know about until the story's over, but they will be there. And they have eternal significance. That, my friend, is the truth. Let's pray. I think that you gave us the Bible and it's your story. And with over 40 plus people that wrote, you're really the one author, Father. And you're the perfecter. And thank you for that. And I thank you that we have a desire for it and we've put it in its proper place of importance. And we know that it's more important than anything that we contribute in life, in and of ourselves. We realize that. How might we infuse people and impart to people things beyond ourselves, specifically your spirit, your word, your will, and your love? How might we demonstrate such to people and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ? Thank you for our awareness of where we are and perhaps maybe, Lord, where we're not. And thank you for your grace that no matter what, the situation. We can always do a redo, start over fresh and anew today. May the people in this room and online listening today infuse love 
that originates not in themselves, but from you, to others, even today. Infuse them with truth, even today. Demonstration of love, even today. Demonstration of wisdom, even today. A demonstration of affection, even today. Demonstration of appreciation, even today. To look one another in the eye and infuse them with love, even today. Wow, that's a good start. Thank you for the opportunity, the awareness to move forward in the power, infused with power beyond ourselves, where we do have a common enemy, and it's not one another. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. I pray for order, not confusion. Insight, clarity, not confusion. Purpose, resolve, not confusion. Love, not indifference. Not arrogance, not haughtiness. Love, understanding, encouragement. Fan these flames in us. Fan these gifts in us for your glory and for your honor. What a joy to have such an opportunity. What a joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're infusers of mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's think on such things as we listen.